Today is an interesting day. We've been going through the book of John, and uh, today's message is, is kind of a hard message because, and I, I feel bad for this church sometimes because I cram a lot into their brains sometimes, but, but today's message is God repeats himself. And the reason uh, we're, we're calling the message today, God repeats himself, is because what you see in John 5, John 6, John 7, and John 8 is Jesus always having to repeat himself again and again and again and again. And we're going to kind of look at that concept today, why that is that God has to repeat himself and, and what is at the heart of what is going on there. And uh, in typical uh, fashion, uh, in order to understand that, we're going to go to a completely different story. Uh, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. And in, uh, point number one, why God repeats himself today is because a lot of times we have a stiff neck and a hard heart. And so God has to repeat himself because we have a stiff neck and a hard heart. So let's look in uh, the book of Exodus. It's Exodus 10, 21 through 29. Uh, if you're at home watching us on Zoom, it should be popping up right now. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. That's crazy. <laughs> hey, young man, what's your name? Tyshawn. All right. So, Tyshawn, imagine this. Imagine over, you know where Jordan is? All right. Potawatomi Park. You know that park? All right. So imagine the people over at Potawatomi have made the people over here slaves, right? And uh, we got a guy that God sends over there and says, you got to let my people over here go, right? And, uh, and so what we see in the book of Exodus is to prove to Egypt that they should listen to God and not to their Pharaoh, God sends plagues, one after another, all right? Now, why would God do that? See, a lot of times we think the book of Exodus, the story, the Exodus story, is about God setting his people, Israel, free. But if you really think about it, if, if all God wanted to do was set his people free, he could have snapped his fingers and had them out of there in a second, right? He could have just brought in a magic carpet. They jump on a magic carpet and away they go, right? God could have done it that way. But he didn't do it that way. God wanted Pharaoh to let his people go. And that's the whole point of the plagues. The whole point of the plagues is to prove to Pharaoh that he is not God, that there is a greater God than him. And not only to prove that to Pharaoh, but to prove that to Pharaoh's people who worshipped Pharaoh. All right? 
And so we go through 10 plagues. And each plague, the early plagues, are plagues that attack gods of the Egyptians. All right? And so finally they get to, now one of the highest gods of the Egyptians was the sun god, Ra. All right? And so the very last plague is, check this out, imagine God makes it dark over a pot of water. I mean, no light whatsoever. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know if like you, it's like maybe you're, you're, you're walking and then you just see darkness, like this big black wall, and you walk into it and it's dark, all right? But the people in the dark can never come into the light for some reason. I don't even know how, how this works. It's a crazy plague. If you really look at it, it's crazy, all right? But it's pretty definitive, all right? Because the, the children of Israel are in the light and the children of Egypt are in the dark, all right? It's pretty definitive, all right? And you would think, Tyshawn, what do you think? After you, like, like imagine you were over on the Potawatomi side and for three days, no light. Turn on a flashlight, nothing. Just darkness. You're walking around like you're blind for three days. Imagine. And then the light comes out. And Moses says, I want you to let my people go. Right? Would that be enough for you to pay attention? Right? Right? And it's interesting, throughout the story of the Bible, what you see so often is one of the, one of the judgments that God will bring on people when they will deny who he is, is he'll, he'll cause them to be blind. He'll strike them blind. And that's exactly what he was doing in this story. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. All right? So that's Pharaoh. So Pharaoh notices the darkness and he says, you know what? Maybe we should uh, let these people do what they want. All right? He says, I'll let you go, but. You just leave your flocks and herds behind so I know that you'll come back. Right? You ever been somewhere where they ask you for a security deposit? That's what Pharaoh's doing here. You could take the truck, but we need a security deposit. God help you if you hit the door on the way out of the storage space with the truck after you paid your security deposit. Not that that ever happened to me last week at all. All right. <laughs> so then Pharaoh called Moses and said, okay, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. 
Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. All right. So think about this. What has Moses been trying to do the whole time? He's been trying to get the people to go free, right? That's what we thought he was after, right? He wanted the people to go free. Well, finally, Pharaoh is like, you can go. Get out of here. 400 years of slavery. Imagine being a slave your whole life, and then somebody says, all right, you're free to go. You just got to leave your car behind. What would you say? You'd say, see the car later. I'm out of here, right? Whatever it takes, I'm getting out of here. I'm never coming back. Moses doesn't say that. Is he crazy? You finally got the chance to leave, and you're going to get up in Pharaoh's face and say, no, 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 we're not doing it your way. We're doing it our way. And if we're not doing it our way, we're not doing it. That's crazy. Those are fighting words. Anybody been married? Anybody still married? You ever had fighting words in your marriage? Right? Right? There's that thing you say, man. There's that one thing you say, and it does it'll conversation over, right? There's one thing you might say. If you say it, it's conversation over, right? And, and that's what's happening here. There's one thing he says is conversation over. And so, so one thing that I want us to look at is the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think sometimes we read that and we think God took his hand, went into Pharaoh's mind, and made it so Pharaoh could not believe like mind control, like Professor X. God just Professor X Pharaoh, right? But really, if you look at the all of scripture, that doesn't quite make sense. Why would you, for nine plagues, want Pharaoh to let your people go, want Pharaoh to acknowledge that you are God, and then you get to the ninth plague, and you reach in, and you make it so he can't? Why would you do that? Doesn't make sense, right? So here's a interesting interpretations that I've heard on this, and it makes a lot of sense to me, all right? You can choose whether or not it makes a lot of sense to you. Look what Moses said. God knew Pharaoh's heart, all right? God knew that Pharaoh thought he was God. He was raised thinking he was God. He'd been treated like he was God his whole life. And that was the one thing, the only one thing that God wanted him to let go of. And so God slapped him right where his idol, idol, idolatry was. His idol was himself. Anyone relate to that? Anybody have occasionally made yourself the idol, right? 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 The whole world is supposed to be Burger King. They're supposed to do it my way. Right? Right? God slaps him right where his idolatry is, which is his desire to always be the one in charge. 
All right? You see Jesus do this to the Syrophoenician woman. She comes and says, will you cast a demon out of my kid? Jesus says, it's only for the children of Israel that my healing is here. He's saying, you Gentiles have always mocked God's people who had the revelation for God. And he throws, he throws this test at the Syrophoenician woman, and she humbles herself before Jesus. It says, but even the dogs can eat the scraps, the crumbs from the table of the privileged. She says, I trust in you so much that you are God. I won't even hang on to my cultural superiority over the Jewish people. I won't let that get in the way of me reaching out for my healing. Sometimes before God is going to work in your life, he has to confront your pride, your stubbornness, your hard-heartedness. And it is everything in the world when that, when that slap comes of disrespect to your idol, what you do next is a matter of life and death. And I would say it, it, what we're going to see in the scriptures today, it's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And it's serious business. And so Pharaoh doesn't let them go. And we know what happens. Within two or three weeks, Pharaoh and his entire army is drowned in the Red Sea. Gone. Right? And that was his moment. That was his moment to repent, and he missed it. He missed his moment to repent, and destruction was next. All right. That's Old Testament. One of the reasons we look at that story is because when John, who is writing the book that we're going through right now, one of the first descriptions he gives of Jesus is he says, Behold. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And most of the time they sacrifice goats and uh, bulls. The only time you really sacrifice the lamb was on Passover. And, and so by John saying that, he is pointing us back to this Exodus story. All right. So, Now we're going to get into chapter 8. And uh, I want you to listen. We're going to look at two scriptures right now. And I want you to keep Pharaoh in the back of your mind. All right? Keep Pharaoh in the back of your mind. All right, this is what Jesus says. Jonathan, this is uh, uh, John eight forty-two to 47. Jesus said to them, now, he's saying this to the Pharisees. Now, what, what's been happening is Jesus will say something or do something that um, is in disobedience to the Pharisees' rules. All right? So we can understand this today, right? How many, how many dashboard iPhone videos have we watched where people are not doing what the police said and the police just freak the mess out, right? Like, and are hurting people and forgetting the serve and protect part of the job, all right? But the reason that's happening is because 
there's a power struggle. All right? And the Pharisees are under no illusion. They understand that Jesus has come to take over. And that's really what's happening. It's very similar to Pharaoh, right? Because when one greater than you comes, you have to get under them. I used to do street ministry over here. I still do sometimes. But then James Crockett showed up. And I walked into his living room and 30 guys from the hood were up in his living room. And I said, all right, I'm getting behind this guy. When Michael Jordan shows up, you come Scotty Pippen. That's what happens, right? And I was, I was glad to have it. When someone better at what you do shows up, you get out of the way. That's what you do. When God shows up and you've been leading and a better revelation of God shows up, you get out of the way. And that's what Jesus is. And that's what's going on through John 5, 6, 7, and 8 until we finally get to 8. Now, when we get to 8, Jesus is finally going to totally lay down the gauntlet. He's been for four chapters, numerous occasions, going back and forth. It's very similar to the plagues of Egypt in the sense that there's an ongoing dialogue. There's an ongoing opportunity for these Pharisees to just give it up and let Jesus be in charge. Then the Lord, oh, whoops. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not my, on my own, of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That is a refrain that Jesus has said over and over and over and over again. John 5. John 6, John 7, John 8. The Pharisees keep coming. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And the crowd said, how can you be the bread of life? And he says, you don't understand me because you're not from my father. The Pharisees say, how can you heal on the Sabbath? How can you break our Sabbath rules? And Jesus says, you don't understand me because you are not of my father. And finally, when we get to chapter 8, Jesus doesn't only say, you're not of my father. He says, your father is the devil. Let me just make it clear. I've been waiting to see if you're going to get it. And what I've realized now is you're just a child of the devil. So, of course, you want to kill me. Well, that's pretty, like, upfront, right? When's the last time you just looked at somebody and said, you're a child of the devil. All the time, right? All right. Well, Jesus waited four chapters, so maybe wait a little longer. But Jesus is pointing 
something very significant now. Now let's look at John 7, or John 6. So Jesus has just, in this scripture, Jesus has just done this thing where he, uh, he's basically said to a group of people that were coming to him for bread, you come to me because you're hungry. You come to me because you're hurting. And they wanted to make Jesus king so they would always have bread. And Jesus knows that's not going to last very long. Because Jesus didn't come to be in anybody's back pocket. Jesus came to, be, to, to serve God and to teach people to serve God. And so Jesus has a great way of getting rid of a crowd of people that don't get it. And he says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no place in me. All right, that's weird. All right. If I got up here and said, you want to be part of this church? You got to eat my body and drink my blood. We'll be doing that later on this evening. And then you can be a member, right? That's weird. That's really weird. You would probably get up and say this. You wouldn't say this is a hard teaching. You would say, that guy's crazy and run away from him. Don't have anything to do with it. But that's what Jesus said. Jesus had a way of getting rid of a crowd. Jesus wasn't after a crowd. Jesus was after what God was doing. And so after that, Jesus has this to, to say um, to these people. All right, after he said that, this is what they said. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples, his disciples being the ones that he specifically called to follow him, all right? You ever kind of like join a movement, about halfway through the leader starts saying things, and you're kind of like, oh, that's a little weird. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm cool with this anymore. You ever, you ever been at a job or in a church or something where things got a little weird, and you were kind of like, man, I, I thought I was sold out for this, but I'm not so sure anymore, right? That's what's going on here. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples are grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Check that out. You know, the goal of church is not growing your membership. Not a Jesus church. Does this sound like Pharaoh? Kind of does, right? Jesus says something that's going to offend their mind. It's going to offend it so much that he knows it's going to make a lot of people just get up and leave. But he does it anyways. He does it anyways. We have to be careful, guys. Um, I, I know if... if if, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just going for a walk. I understand that. All right. But 
But there's a reality of sometimes when you walk with God, there isn't going to be a whole lot of folk that want to follow you. Right? Right? And I think what I really want us to look at today is why is that? For Jesus knew from the beginning those who those who who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So this is deep stuff. A couple things. What does Jesus mean when he says, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them, unless the Father allows them? What does that mean? Does that mean that God has already picked who is going to come to Jesus? He chose ahead of time. These people are going to be followers of God. These people won't be. Now, there's a, there's a whole tradition in the church that says that that's what's up, all right? And, uh, and I, I struggle to believe that because what I see in Scripture is a God that wants our participation, who goes out of his way to allow us to make choices and to allow us to make choices that matter. And I, I kind of, the way I see this is that the Father knows who understands that they are not God. And if, if I could put it this way, see, the, the problem of humanity versus the salvation of humanity is this. That those that are fully man have a tendency to think that they are fully God. Let me say that again. That, that those who are fully man, mortal, failing, weak, gonna die, not omniscient, not omnipresent, not all-powerful, still come under the delusion that they can be fully God. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you not know that if you eat of it, you will be just like him? You will be able to decide what is right and wrong. 
And man, is that not deep in me. My idol a lot of times is being right. Right? I want to be right. I know I've thought through it longer than you have. <laughs> so I must be right. All right? Some of you, that's not your problem. Some people just want us all to get along. All right? And if being right means conflict, then I'll just be wrong. And I won't say anything, and I won't stand for it, and at least nobody will be mad around you, right? And you can end up in just a wicked place being that kind of pacemaker as being the bulldozer. It's crazy. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen people doing nuts, crazy stuff, following somebody because they just won't even stand up to them and they can't say no. And they'll do, they'll murder people. Not because they hate the person they went to shoot, but because they don't want to get in conflict with the person that put the gun in their hand. All right? So we all have these idols, and those idols, they grab us, and we, we kind of create these life systems, these plans of salvation around whatever your idol is. Some people, it's just, I got to feel good every five minutes, right? What's the next show? What's the next sip? What's the next hit? What's the next woman? What's the next man? What's the next experience, right? I got to have that. If I don't have that, life has no meaning. And they build a whole lifestyle around that, right? And what you build your lifestyle around, that's your idolatry. You, you have an idol, and you build your lifestyle around it. Pharaoh in Egypt had an idol. It was him, and they built a whole system around it. And it kind of worked for them until it didn't. The Pharisees had built a whole system around themselves. And here comes Jesus, and he's going to confront it, just like Moses confronted Pharaoh's system. You see, mankind, we have this twisted idea that even though we know we're fully man, we get to be God. It is insane. It's actually insanity if you actually think about it, and yet we do it every day. Right? We do it every day. God's plan for salvation was to send one who was fully man and fully God so that he could reconcile man to God so that we could be one as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one with God. In one sense, as we become more and more Christ-like, as we become uh, uh, transformed more and more into the image of Christ, we get to be fully man and in one sense fully God. Now, I'm not saying we're God, but I'm saying there comes, there comes a point of submission in step with the Holy Spirit where we become like Jesus, who was fully man, 
only doing fully the things of God. That's what God wants. And it's volunteer. Sometimes I think we think, I'm just waiting for God to zap me and take me over, so I only do right things. That's not how it works. God's not like that. He doesn't zap you. He says, come follow me. Man, I won't bust that guy in his chop. I'm going to tell, I'm going to come up with an argument. Man, I'm going to tear him down. And God says, not if you're submitted to me or not. Right? And that submission is what makes us walk and be the body of Christ. Do you understand? I mean, think, of, think about what, we, what happened. Jesus comes down fully God, fully man. How does he do that? I don't know. Somehow he's fully God. Sometimes he's fully man. He's asleep in a boat. Totally asleep. Why is he asleep? Because he's fully man. Guy hasn't slept in forever. He's hungry. There's a storm. It's going to kill everybody. He's so tired, he's sleeping. Fully man. Jesus, we're about to die. Will you save us? Shut up, storm. Storm shuts down. Jesus says, what were you worried about? I'm fully God. Fully God, fully man. I don't get it. What is he? You know, there's been all these theories, and the best they could ever come up with is both at the same time, and don't ask us how. Right? And I think, honestly, guys, that's what God wants of his church. He wants us to become more like Christ. Us and God existing, coexisting, present at the same time. And that's why Jesus keeps saying over and over through this whole thing, if you were of, of my father, if you cared about the truth, if you wanted to be submitted to God, you would know who's standing in front of you. Which brings us to our application today. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And here's the thing is, is, is I don't know where God starts in this and where God ends in this. And I don't know where you start in this and where you end in this. That's what it means to be one, right? If we start singing as one voice, it's hard for me to know where is my voice in the voices. But we have a choice. Just like the Pharisees, we have a choice. See, the problem with the Pharisees is they're so much like Pharaoh. They will not give up the one thing that is necessary for their eyes to be open. Jesus wants to open their eyes. He's doing miracles in front of them. He's showing them beyond a shadow of a doubt. He repeats himself for four chapters. For four chapters, 
Jesus says, I am God. They say, how can you say that? Then he does a miracle and explains to them that if you were really from God, if you really cared about the things of God, you would recognize who I am. People are following him. People are coming. God is seeing who is willing to acknowledge that they're not God and he's sending them to him. That's what I think happens. I think my personal opinion, I think God knows what's in the hearts of every single person. And he knows those who are stubborn and Pharaoh-like, who he's come to again and again and again and said, you're not God and you need me. And they said, no, I'm going to run things. I'm going to run the show. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be stubborn. And they walk off into destruction. It's just, it's inevitable. You can't cut yourself off from a tree. If you're the branch and you cut yourself off from the tree, you're going to eventually die. It's just, you, you can't cut yourself off from the author of life and live. It's impossible. But God's not going to make you. But he's always, I believe, wooing people. Someone dies in our life. Something goes wrong in our life. That should be telling you you're not God. You're not in charge. I did it this way and destruction happened. Something should tell you you're not omniscient. You're not all-knowing. You should be desperate for wisdom. We're, we're having murder after murder after murder in our city. Our young men are at sport killing each other. Who are we to say we know what we're doing? We should be saying we don't know what we're doing. We're not God. Where are you, Lord? Help us. And when we read God's word and he tells us to be obedient in an area, we're like, no, I'm going to do sex the way, way I want to. I'm going to do money the way I want to. I'm going to do life the way I want to. But Lord, please help with this, this problem that I have. That's still you trying to be God. God, I'm going to do it my way. I want you in my back pocket to use your power uh, according to my desire of what's right or wrong. Who are you fooling? God's not going to do that. Would you do that for your kid? Mom, I want you to uh, give me Twinkies every day. I don't have the money to afford it, but please feed me Twinkies every day. You look at them and say, no way. You're not the mom. Right? We do the same thing with God. I want Twinkies every day, God. He says, no, well, then I won't follow you. All right? Your teeth are going, your teeth are going to rot out and you're going to die. Right? It's the same thing. We have a choice. The Pharisees had a choice. And if, if you continue to um, ignore the voice of God in your life, you prove whose child you are. You're a child of the devil. And here's the problem. Eventually, the Bible says that, that God is going to get rid of the wicked in this world. Why? Because he loves his children. God is not going to let wicked people continue to mess it up for everybody. 
The only wicked person that God has guaranteed is going to be judged is Satan. That's the way I read the scripture. It's your choice that you're going to keep him your dad. Another dad has shown up. And he's shown up in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was very clear about that. Jesus said, I am the Father and one. I am the revelation of the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen what your relationship with the Father is supposed to be like. Just one, one little deeper application for those of us who are, are uh, we think we're so grown. All right. Jesus said this, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This is the application, guys. We have to become a Spirit-led people. Think about it. When Jesus was here, God had a body. When Jesus left, he didn't have a body. When Jesus left, he needed a body here on the earth, and the Bible says that we are his body. And who is supposed to fill that body? The Holy Spirit. So everything in your flesh, everything that's rational, everything that thinks and knows how things are supposed to be done is no help to us. It is the Spirit and God's words that bring life. And God is looking for an obedient people. And so, guys, we have to, as the church, if we want to walk and be God incarnate, God's incarnational presence in this world, we have to realize that the flesh is useless. We have to walk by the Spirit. And what I know, because the scripture teaches it, is that the voice of the Holy Spirit is in your life, bringing conviction on you, bringing leading to you, bringing encouragement to you, teaching you. It's available to you. He is available to you. But we need to make up our mind to surrender to it. We need to make up our mind to surrender to him. 